Welcome everyone for yet another episode of Out of Band. My name is Faith Appeal. My name is Jennifer Winnegars. And we are Out of Band. <laughs> Today we are joined by two guests um, to discuss the topic of detection engineering. One of them is my colleague uh, Chris, who will introduce himself, and uh, the other is well-known Olaf. Uh, will we start with you, Olaf? Sure, thanks for having me in the first place. Nice to meet you guys. Uh, so my name is Olaf Hartong. I am a, a consultant at Falcon Force. So where I do detection engineering, threat hunting, I advise people pr primarily on the defensive side. Uh, and of course I do purple teaming, but then I'm joined with a uh, way more specialized colleague that can actually attack people. Cool. We're happy to have Hi. you. Hi, I'm uh Chris Kulikowski. I'm a threat hunter and detection engineering uh, engineer at IBM. I'm a colleague of Faith's, like she said, and um, you know we're the we're the defenders. Yay! <laughs> so Good happy to have you. Okay, uh, Jennifer, uh, let's kick it off. Mm -hmm. So maybe uh, based on the introductions, um, it's kind of clear what we're going to discuss today detection engineering. So uh, maybe it's good to start with the basics, guys. What is detection engineering according to you? Want to take that, Chris? Yeah, sure. So to me, um, it is leveraging our telemetry that is available to um, identify suspect or uh, malvolent activities. Um, it can also entail the visibility component. So, um, you know, sometimes we're limited by our telemetry. Um, it can entail increasing the, the telemetry that you have natively. So that, that could be deploying additional sensors, um, you know, uh, bringing in maybe some logging that you don't have available through, uh, you know, your native EDR solutions, uh, whatever it may be. And, uh, using all of that telemetry to uh, essentially paint pictures of uh, what threat activity could be happening in your environment and um, ultimately to identify, you know, um, suspicious activities. And yeah, how... I totally agree. Yeah, I think I think I think from for me to to add to that mm -hmm. is is to try to understand how an attacker works. So try to replicate his behavior and use the telemetry that Chris uh, alluded to to yeah make make a detection that is as accurate as possible to capture that behavior. So, how did you guys get to detection engineering? Mm -hmm. um, is that something that you guys studied, or what led you to it? Yeah, for me, I'm I'm way too old for that field to even exist. So so um, I I studied tele and data communications, which is basically just network protocols and and like phone systems and these kind of things. Um, and during the course of my career, I I worked at various companies where they started to build a SOC or they had one, they, and through incident response. I learned a lot about like how, how an operating system works, how an enterprise environment works. So you get more of a grasp into what is normal. 
Mm-hmm. And then I started to work at companies where also attackers were working. So I was trying to learn as much as I could from the, from those usually guys, but sometimes girls, fortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, how they think, what they try to do from a like adversarial perspective, and that combined with my incident response uh, engagements, I kind of got into this field where I wanted to learn more and write a detection before it actually happened. Yeah, and and for me, it, you know, it it all started. I've I've been in this industry, cyber for for twelve near twelve years. About um, starting with just IT administration, and then the corporate security space, and then being in security operations, um, and then uh, back into incident response, doing forensics again to where I am today, doing more threat hunting and detection engineering and the need arised when we started to realize that even today's world class and leading um, security solutions are not keeping up with the threats and and so we've taken it into our own hands to see if we have coverage for something that's breaking. Mm-hmm. There may be a new threat article that, that comes out from, from Cisco or FireEye or something. And the first question that everyone has is, are we covered? Yeah. Or, or, or it could also be, are we impacted? So, mm-hmm. so both of those questions. And the only way to answer those questions are to, uh, to one, you know, do, do a, a tactical hunt Mm-hmm. in your environment to see if those tactic techniques procedures have been observed in your environment but also to do some testing and attack simulations that are in line with that uh, of the threat actors profile that we observed in the threat or in the intelligence report mm-hmm. and see if we get um, to see if our security controls identify that activity and you either have you know, yes, we're covered. Our native detections uh, work as they should, or or the answer is no. We didn't detect any of this. And of course, if the answer is no, then you've got some work to do to um, to try and use uh, all of the telemetry that was involved with the attack uh, simulation to write a custom rule mm-hmm. so that you're covered and you're not reliant on the vendor itself. Yeah. So. Based on what you're describing right now, it sounds like it has a lot of overlap with threat hunting. Um, you yourself are a detection engineer and a threat hunter. Um, where do you see the separation between the two roles? I think the um, there there are very close similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the separation is is I, I would see that the the hunter is more in line with the identification of the, uh, the, the true threats, yeah. whereas the detection engineering capability is um, maybe we're just trying to see if we're, we're covered or impacted. So there, there may not be a, um, a time, there may not be as um, pressing of a, a nature to see if we're uh, affected, whereas the tactical hunting, we may be under pressure to see if we're impacted. Detection engineering could be more of um, a project-based approach. Let's just make sure we've got coverage for this. We don't know we've had a compromise, whereas 
threat hunting, sometimes, you know, you, you could be compromised. Now you're just trying to do damage assessment, like how many devices are compromised, then you go and you go from there. Yeah, and I think I think they go also hand in hand together. Right? So mm -hmm. the, the goal is slightly different in, in as, as Chris also mentioned, is for hunting, you just want to find bad and try mm -hmm. to find it as, as efficient as you can. Uh, and with the detection engineering bit, you also want to end up with a, um, a detection rule that you can implement and automate so that it can yeah. repeatedly run and these kind of things. Whereas a hunt, you, you that's more sort of point in time assessments what you're making. You can still repeat those, but usually the outcome of that requires more human analysis than a mm -hmm. automated detection would. So it can happen that a hunt is so well written by the hunter that it can actually be automated. So then should transfer to the detection engineering team to implement that so in a way the approach is similar but the outcome is different i think that's from my from my experience okay and then the outcome you mentioned that the the most ideal outcome for uh, a detection engineer is to automate a detection rule um are we talking then for a specific type of tooling such as for example mdr xdr or a scene solution or can it be everything basically or Uh, well, I don't think it can be every, everything. The, it, it requires, of course, logs, and they, those logs need to go somewhere, and you need mm -hmm. to have a mechanism that can execute your query. So, uh, sure, uh, some EDRs have that uh, mm -hmm. uh, possibility, like endpoint and detection and response tools, or XDR, whatever they want to call it now. Uh, a, a SIM or a data anal analysis platform can be the same, where you centralize all your logs. So, so sometimes you do it closer to the source, if possible, because why mm -hmm. would you ingest something twice? That's just paying for something that is not always the most efficient. Depends a little bit on the organization. But in essence, it's somewhere where you get logs and can run queries that you could do it there. Uh, depends a little bit on how, how the organization is structured, if it's a managed service or not, uh, these kind of things. Yeah, variables also uh, come into play there. So, yeah. one thing uh, that I that I know is that you know uh, creation of use cases has been there for a while, right? What I don't understand is why is it all of a sudden the detection engineering is getting a spotlight? Is that a wrong perception from my end, or is that the case? And if so, why? I would say that you're spot on. It, it has definitely um, piqued interest of every organization mm -hmm. recently. And in my opinion, I think it's because we are having a hard time keeping up with the adversary. And the, the security vendors are just as much, they're, they're on the forefront, they're doing the best they can. We're all doing the best we can, but there's a lot more of them and they only have to get the attack right one time in order yeah. to have a compromise where we have to stop them every time. And so it's, it's the, the spotlight has become more evident on detection engineering for that reason. We're, we're seeing um, a longer delay and uh, in vendors pushing out native detections into their platforms where you know it may take one month, two months, even longer perhaps for some of these uh, families of malware to support detections. Mm -hmm. Whereas internally we could we could probably beat them if we feel like a threat is um, 
targeting our organization. Like depending on the business, right? Every every organization is different. If we're in oil and gas, we have those problems. If we're in technology or a service provider, we have different unique problems. So those problems likely align with uh, the motives of the threat actor and the vendors, they're trying to meet everyone's needs. So it's much more challenging for them. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. So, so I think, as as you also said, it, it has been around for for decades. So use case design or use case development used to be called. Technically, we're doing similar work. I think the only approach is we do it more threat based, mm -hmm. and I I think we also at the whole maturity of the whole industry evolved into a way where we understand better how an attacker works. There's more research capability, so we can also uh, sort of use that knowledge to make better detection. So it's it's uh, it's a, just an evolution and a new fancy name to it, but uh, we do, and the work is slightly different and it's more focused probably. So instead of generic, it's more tailored to the threads of your organization or the generic threads of most organizations that the vendors don't get to because it's mm -hmm. yeah too broad or too there's too much as well. Yeah, because that would have actually been my follow-up question. Like, what is the actual difference between the terms use case engineer and then uh, detection engineer? But the way that you, Olaf, see it is that it's basically an evolution of a use case engineer. Personally, yes. Yeah. Okay. I think um, it's more thinking like the attacker, which comes more yeah. into, into also the defensive space, where it used to be, hey, we get a report, like uh, we mentioned before, we read it, we take exactly those indicators and we write a rule for that. And that changed a little bit into more of the behavioral part and and, and maybe combining a bit more mitigative measures and these kind of things uh, to make it more efficient and uh, also a little bit more resilient. Makes sense. The, the term engineering and detection engineering throws me off a little bit. Um, how how does it how, how does it differ from let's say software engineering why why do I, we have engineering in <laughs> i think they're to be honest i think they're very similar um in a software development life cycle you have an iteration of like you know um we we have requirements then you go into development, you go into test. If there's QA, maybe QA and then production, right? And yeah. we follow a very similar life cycle with detections as well. We have our requirements. Normally the requirements are a, um, a theory maybe or a hypothesis. Is this something that we detect or not? We go in with our requirements and we start poking around, coming up with a query. We see if we've got um the behaviors in our environment maybe some tuning goes into that we develop it further we like like olaf said we build in resilience make sure it's going to be future proofed then we go into test we simulate the activity um we make sure that our query works as it's expected we're getting the expected results and then it's ready for the show we push it to production and um you know, and then there could be a follow-on process to make sure that the detection doesn't break and, and maybe 
that could be something automated as well, firing the detection off every six months or so just to make sure that uh, there's no logic within that's that's broken unintentionally. So I think they're very similar. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's um, and and then with most modern platforms, you can actually write your detections as as code, so to say. So mm -hmm. you can even implement your infrastructure as code. So you put them in separate files, and you have an automated system to even deploy it, test it, maintain it. So to make sure that what you know as your truth is still the truth in your yeah. in your production environment as well. You can use it to do your your test environments, validate everything is working. So the whole yeah, this part of the industry is also learning a lot from the software development uh, industry where they've been doing this for years, right? Mm -hmm. So they've been all, all kinds of test unit tests and all these kind of things. And that's bring that's coming into, into our field more and more. So that's also where the engineering comes into play more because you don't only have to be good at a specific query language, you now also have to maybe even be a little bit proficient in the scripting language. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to... Uh, to, to test a little bit more on the uh, operating system or on the device or in the cloud where you're writing your detection yourself as well. So you have to be a little bit more versatile than you might have used to be before. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, sorry, Jennifer. Yeah. Do you, do you two have an inclination of um, tools that you use or are you... Do, yeah, are you are experts you in all the tools or... Do you have inclinations on tools and not necessarily names of tools, but more of um, do you focus on endpoints or do you focus on the network or do you do detection engineering on both sides? Uh, Olaf, you can go first. Oh, <laughs> For me, I, 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 I used to be heavily endpoint and network focused and, and endpoint is by now easier because there's a lot of EDR products. I mm -hmm. definitely have a preference there. Um, but uh, that's primarily due to the visibility that they provide. So there's a couple that are really, really strong in the telemetry that they bring that allows me to do my job as a detection engineer. If I have to rely on only the vendor, then I don't have anything to do. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's a bad product per se, but for, for me and my clients, it's usually not the case. So that's where I was focusing a lot. Uh, network is slightly harder because not every company has the ability to gather those, yeah, yeah, those telemetry sources mm -hmm. in in terms of network captures and these kind of things. It's also mm -hmm. quite costly, um, and not always the same value for money as endpoint. And I'm, yeah, I've been focusing on the cloud more and more because it's just a lot of organizations are moving there. There's a lot of attack service. There's not as much research done as on the on-prem bit. So that's interesting to me. And also, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's scary to a lot of other clients. So that's my primary focus areas. Okay. Okay. Chris, uh, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, there's, um, I believe there's a Twitter saying uh, that NSM is dead. Network security monitoring <laughs> is dead. <laughs> and I, I think it, it came as the introduction of EDR came, you know, there was less of a reliance on on network-based monitoring because we get that and so much more with EDR. Yeah. And so naturally, I think that EDR has become like the go-to for mm -hmm. a lot of this. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I don't think it should be completely tossed away. I still think there's some great use cases uh, using network-based monitoring mm -hmm. um, that EDR, like, you know, EDR is only as good as where it is. And, and sometimes there are edges in the organization that for some reason, maybe they don't support EDR. It, it could be some flavor of operating system that's just not supported. Uh, maybe it's not a managed asset, but it's on the network. Uh, there could be edge cases, certainly. So, so that would be where network monitoring would still be um, important. But I think, and, and I think there's a rule of thumb that uh, every security professional should be as tool agnostic as possible. Mm -hmm. um, that way they're staying on the leading edge of technology, of course, because mm -hmm. we see in this industry that a tool I'm using today, five years from now, could be completely obsolete. And if we're as agnostic as possible, we're going to continue staying on the leading edge of that of that tool set and we're going to be prepared for whatever may may come down the pipe yeah so um something that is kind of related to what we've been discussing right now actually um what kind of skills do you need to have to work as a detection engineer and maybe also what kind of background or what kind of interests for example yeah i think olaf hit it earlier um when it, it, it definitely takes a wide array of skill set for this line of work. Um, it, it helps to have maybe some basic software development mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes you might need to reverse a piece of malware mm -hmm. and, and understand and understanding the um, API calls within a malware sample is important to know exactly what capability it has. It helps knowing a little scripting from mm -hmm. time to time just to do uh, some automation in, in either testing or in firing attack simulations. Uh, it just makes it easier to do a script instead of typing out every single command by hand. Mm -hmm. um, it certainly helps to have a uh, forensic background to know artifacts like on every operating system, so Windows-based artifacts. Uh, Linux-based forensic artifacts. That way you know what telemetry may be available for you to leverage in your detections and, and writing your rules. Um, you know, registry components, uh, network connection components, file read, file write processes. I mean, all, all of that is is crucial in, in knowing. And I think having like a basic understanding of operating systems and how they interact, um, I think that really helps. I couldn't agree more. I think I think from personality traits, I, I don't I don't think education is required. Mm -hmm. It helps. And, and and it depends also again on your on your personality. So, uh, as I I think I mentioned it before, but I, I sort of did a, a very technical network telemetry and, and protocol analysis study. Um, and then I went to art school. So, and I think, I think I learned more at art school, to be honest, <laughs> uh, uh, what I still apply than in that, in that previous, uh, education that I mentioned. And that, and, and the primary thing there was, uh, I think the one, the one thing that I learned 
the most uh, is they force you to always take a step back. And what I've seen a lot of people do in, when they get a problem is they they dig themselves deeper and deeper Zooming. instead of yeah. instead of taking a step back, doing a helicopter view. What's actually going on? Where what am I looking at? What I'm trying to solve, uh, and these kind of things. And and we were forced at art school at least to always do that because you had to explain it to somebody yeah. else as well and that and that those two kind of things help me a lot at least uh in my still current day-to-day -day job because i still have to explain what i'm looking for to somebody else so that they can also use that detection or whatever i build um and on top of that i think just a generic inquisitive mindset mm -hmm. so you you want to understand how something works so that you can also do something against it so it's yeah. sort of the hacker mindset but then your your end goal is different so you don't want to you don't want to hack stuff or break stuff you want to fix it and detect detect or defend against it so it's a similar mindset just with a different kind of end goal i think those, those two things combined with what chris was mentioning in terms of background knowledge you you'll also learn that if you start like playing around and mm -hmm. start investigating because i i still learn almost every day uh just by either reading something, Google is your best friend, even Stack Overflow is amazing sometimes. Don't copy paste everything. <laughs> but it's it's all these kind of things combined. Just you, the, the, uh, yeah, sort of the the appetite or the, the yearning to learn, that's probably the most important thing generically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what I agree. I, what I hear you say, uh, Chris, um, Alif, from the, from the hard skills, is that the path to a DE may be a little treacherous for someone who has not really worked in a SOC environment or a forensic environment, or you know, uh, someone who's not really done a lot of OS networking type of um, work. Will that be a correct assessment? Not, not more of a no. It's not possible, but more of. It'll you be need a little bit more experience. Uh, it's not a a role that you would go in fresh out of college. Will that be the case? I I think that it's not a hard requirement. Mm -hmm. It helps, certainly helps. The experience helps significantly. But like Olaf said, I th I think the soft skills might be more more critical. There's use cases that aren't overly complex. You know, and and there there's there's many out there that have hundred percent true positive rates. They're they're great detections, and I think the the personality traits that maybe you're just not afraid of a challenge, mm -hmm. and you're not going to let something like a challenge you don't know how to solve initially uh, overcome you to say like, I have no idea how to do this. And you just quit before you even start. But if you have the mindset of, okay, I have this problem I'm trying to solve. And you have the mindset that you're gonna sit there and you're gonna stare at it until you solve it, even though it's not overly complex. I think that's the mindset that, um, that helps significantly in this field. Yeah, and don't ask. To, uh, to, to don't be afraid to ask that question if you get stuck don't quit ask it or even first maybe try to figure it out yourself if you get stuck ask for help and the interesting bit is i, I do quite a lot of training mm -hmm. where i uh, try to educate people on the detection engineering side uh, some people in the training are quite proficient and they just want to learn 
how I do it or, mm -hmm. or another approach. Uh, there's also people that are very, very uh, junior, so they struggle a bit more, but it, sometimes their approaches are quite surprising because we are sort of in the industry for quite a while. We've learned it to do it a specific way and, and mm -hmm. a fresh approach it can definitely be very, very valuable. Um, and on the flip side, some some of the best detection engineers I've worked with and still work with. So so uh, my company does uh, red teaming, purple teaming and, and blue teaming. So everything a bit. Uh, but some of the best detection engineers can also be red teamers because they they immediately go into that phase of thinking like an attacker. So they know what an attacker would do. Yeah. Um, and from what I see is that they are more prone. So they're used to reading documentation. They're used to digging around, trying to find something. Usually the, the, the intent is different, but the approach is still the same. So what I've seen a lot is where some of the more or less experienced detection engineers get stuck and get frustrated and might give up is that that's the sweet spot of a red teamer because that's what they do day to day. So they, they just hit Google again or try to find some other documentation and they, they, their, their perseverance is slightly different. And that's an attitude that some people have naturally and some have less. Uh, so that that's something that I, I, I sometimes see. So given your experience as detection engineers, um, your vast experience, what are some of the challenges that you've come across um, in detection engineering field? For me, it's, it's absolutely, there's probably, this is the number one thing. It is limitations, technologies and uh, technological limitations is is what i that, that's the number one challenge for me so su such as um we may have a use case and we know exactly what to look for but maybe the telemetry doesn't exist mm -hmm. it so there's there's really nothing other than you know forensic artifacts that you can get you know from just doing your traditional um um uh, you know, forensic analysis, they're not available to you because for whatever reason, they, you know, they're, they're chopped off and not sent to the, the cloud for, for analysis. Um, there could be query language limitations. So some of the query languages that I use, um, there's certain things that just aren't possible. Mm -hmm. um, like, like a functionality that I might have in one query language might not be possible in another. Mm -hmm. um, there could also be scaling limitations. Mm -hmm. um, some use cases where we're looking for sequences. Mm -hmm. So like I wanna detect when A, B, and C happen mm -hmm. within a certain time frame, you run into scaling problems because that those type of rules and, and use cases are extremely performance. Uh, they, they take a huge per, uh, performance hit on, on your resources. Um, and then finally, I would say maybe the false positives. Mm -hmm. um, that's another challenge that we face is dealing with false positives and, and the maintenance of detections that you put out there. Uh, things may change in the environment. So a detection you roll out into production one day, six months later, may be causing your SOC a lot of pain. And uh, the maintenance of them 
it's it's like a child you know as as they grow up they re- they have different needs <laughs> love that very visual <laughs> yeah definitely yeah i think i think you touched most of them already i think i think a couple of other ones that i sometimes run into is is one of them is is like the recipient of your detection so so the the analysts mm-hmm. uh, we work for mssps and like direct clients so mm-hmm. so basically a, a, any company mm-hmm. um and uh, not always do they have the technical capacity to analyze what kind of alerts they're getting so that they get an alert and it's like i don't know uh, and they're very busy uh, <laughs> so they can't they can't always deal with i think the uh, the output of what we're trying to build which is mm-hmm. yeah, it's a different kind of challenge i guess um, and another one is is uh, sort of close to to the telemetry is not in the product and and trying to convince the organization or at least the admin the IT part of the organization to enable yet another agent or something like that where it's very hard to acquire the telemetry that would help you mm-hmm. and storing it on the on the flip side is another problem where it's, most of it is technical but sometimes there's a, there's some political uh, uh, this discussions going on trying to convince somebody that actually monitoring might be a good good way forward thank you <laughs> Jennifer, want to take the next one? Um, yeah, so we already touched slightly upon skills. We already slightly touched upon what kind of background would be most helpful in, in detection engineering. So um, we also already touched upon the fact that juniors can work in, in detection engineering field, but they might have some difficulties sometimes. So what would you advise someone who either is completely new in cybersecurity or someone who has been working in cybersecurity but wants to make the transit into uh, detection engineering. I'll, I'll, I'll let you take this one first. I keep going first. so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine. That's okay. Um, I, I think it depends a little bit on what you know. But I've, uh, coming from that same inquisitive mindset, mm-hmm. I, I would highly encourage somebody to, to invest even some of your personal time. That's sometimes how it has to be. Um, to to learn more about what you're trying to achieve. So so if you want to do detection engineering, uh, you might want to build a small lab, start playing, and it, this can be uh, very small and cheap. It can even be one virtual machine, which you mm-hmm. can run. Most people can do that. Uh, and start experimenting with some of the smaller techniques. Try to see in the logs, what can I see? How can I detect this? And then at least think about it. Maybe you don't have a SIM or an EDR available to you yet, but at least you can start playing with it. And there are even some free ones, like Elastic puts one out, and there's a couple of other ones. It might not be the thing that you might need, it will end up with in a job, but at least try to do that. Try to find a mentor. So if you have somebody in your job that that's amazing otherwise twitter is amazing there's so many nice people there's some not nice people but you can ignore those there's so many nice people willing to help i think the blue team village in uh from defcon they also have a mentorship program where you can just sign up you have to talk a little bit about yourself what you want to learn what kind of person you are they try to find a match and somebody uh, hopefully is able to mentor you uh, these kind of things I've, i've learned so much from the people that I look up to and still do that there, most people are willing to cha- exchange all kinds of stuff. Uh, and sometimes it's a bit slow. I'm, I'm also not always the quickest to respond to, to Twitter DMs or whatever, 
but I try, right? So, so if you find somebody that's either close to you uh, or or remote, it doesn't really matter. But if you have a connection with somebody, that that's probably the way, the best way to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that, especially on the mentor aspect. Find finding a great mentor, and then really just soaking up as much as you can from from that person. Um, additionally, for someone just starting out. I would say don't jump in too fast. It can be overwhelming. Yeah. Um, maybe challenge yourself just a little at a time. Uh, take on one task and you know and and work on that task. Don't take on a task too big. You know, start small. Yes. Walk before you run. Um, and you know, and progress. I think experience comes uh, over time and. Um, at us, at us, I think people learn better at a slower rate than just throwing everything at them all at once. Yeah. Things don't absorb um, well that yeah. way. So I think that taking your time, starting slow, and absorbing the experience—that's um, that's probably the best best way to go. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that last bit. It's it's indeed so. Everybody wants to immediately learn how to hack uh, Twitter or, to, or whatever <laughs> Facebook, right? It's always what you see, and that's it, it's a great ambition, but you don't get there in ten minutes. So usually that takes years to fully develop that skill. I think I what I've learned, uh, what I should have learned way sooner is also taking notes. So I, I still am not that's great at it, one. but making notes of your thoughts. Uh, one of the guys that is a dear friend of me of mine is 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 he's making notes in a way that it's almost blog style. So he's just writing down his like mental process, which is amazing because it's just for me to review that. It's just glorious. But it's <laughs> my brain doesn't work that way. So I'm very chaotic. Maybe you already noticed. And it's uh, so I I have all kinds of snippets. But even even putting those down for me makes makes more sense now uh, mm-hmm. now i try to force myself to do it because i i quite often have something that i know i did before and if i don't know how i did it anymore which is quite likely if you're busy with all kinds of different things yeah uh, you have to reinvent the wheel again so you're also losing a lot of a lot of time and even by writing it down it sort of reinforces itself a little bit better in your mind so I think that's a very good point to emphasize also here, yeah. Knowledge management is something that is highly under, uh, underrated by a lot of people, yeah. but it's so important. And even companies. I've seen yeah. I've seen very few companies that do this well. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah. also, I'm taking the blame myself for that as well. So That's a sad story. Uh, but in closing, um, is there anything that you would like to share more on detection engineering with our audience? before we close the podcast? For me, it's um, in in terms of detection engineering, I think that it's of utmost importance to, to test, 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 uh, to validate, um, revalidate. We, we, we come across so many times where, you know, the, the detection may be perfect, but then like schema changes and it breaks um, or, or vice versa. Maybe the detection was, um, was written perfectly at that point in time, but then the threat actor changed their, um, I don't know, the, the way that they're, they're typing, 
there, there's there's many obfuscation techniques that keep evolving and they're coming up with new things. So building resilience into detections is absolutely important. Um, never stop learning. This even even the smartest people in this industry are continuing to learn every single day. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's um, that av- that's absolutely important. And then. Um, Also understanding that technology ages very quickly. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that the technologies we're using today are, they may not be the same thing we're using in five years. And so um, I've seen companies that they throw so much into one solution and they think it's going to be a lifetime solution. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's not the right mindset to have uh, because I think that you know, we, we are at the human species, we are uh, innovators, we're creators, we're going to continue making things better and improving upon them. So that means that technology is going to continue to change at an extremely fast rate. And, you know, EDR to XDR, whatever the next DR could be, we got to be ready for it. Love it. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with all of those. I think also that we keep on forgetting that it's it, we're a very young industry, even though it's like around for maybe 50 years, maybe not even that. I, I can't do the math right now, but it's if you compare it to like medicine or whatever, it's been mm-hmm. around for hundreds of years and they're still learning, improving and these kind of things. So we're so young, we're still trying to sort of get into a very good cadence. And I think to add to what Chris mentioned in terms of the vendors or the vendor landscape is is don't just blatantly absorb what they promise you in their marketing or in the documentation. Mm-hmm. Try to understand the tools that you use. Uh, don't get locked into them for sure, but also make sure that like the out-of-the-box detections that they that they provide you if they still work, but also on the flip side, they might have out-of-the-box stuff for what you developed like a year ago and that might make your detection obsolete so try to to understand your 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 products and leverage them to the utmost extent i think that's maybe even more important where you have an edr of another tool try to squeeze as much out as you can before you start bolting on more more products and using everything for 20 percent, which probably ends up being less fruitful than spending a little bit more time on one (laughs) Let's uh, let's let's throw in a sh- a twenty percent shameless plug. Um, Olaf, uh, I did attend one of your courses this year. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the course that you have going on? Um, yes, for sure. Yeah, so it's a detection engineering uh, training on Windows endpoints, at, in, at least in that example, where we utilize uh, Sysmon, we use Defender um, um, for endpoints, and we use the Sentinel, uh, the Sentinel environment from uh, from Microsoft. Um, and what we try to teach there is also end-to-end understanding where the telemetry comes from, how well does your EDR product, for instance, work, and do you need to augment that if you don't have that visibility and you really want that? Mm-hmm. And also trying to build a detection that is flexible enough so that if an attacker, like Chris mentioned, tries to fiddle with his like modus operandi, that you can still catch it with a, a sort of more resilient uh, detection. 
Thank you. And Chris, uh, in your journey to detection engineering, are there some trainings that you've come across that you found helpful or some books that you found helpful? Um, well, Olaf's training, of course. Um, so. <laughs> I would say a lot of GitHub, to be honest. I have learned a tremendous amount of um, of just some some really cool ways to write queries and techniques that I've never th thought of before with just the community's um, involvement with sharing queries. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's there's stuff out there, uh, Kusto queries all over GitHub. There's Splunk queries out there on, on all of the Splunk um, community sites. If you're using Elastic, Elastic's community um, has great resources for for writing rules and um, Carbon Black as well. They've got a great community where people are sharing uh, hunting queries. Um, CrowdStrike has a Reddit and they have a cool query Friday where they share CrowdStrike queries. So I mean, there's I just think the community has uh, contributed so much to the things that I've learned. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, that's, so that's what I would suggest is, is absolutely just, just start bookmarking some, some favorite places out there on the internet and, uh, look what, look and see what other people are starting to develop. If, mm -hmm. if they're writing these, then, you know, they, they had a need mm -hmm. for, um, you know, detecting some kind of threat within their specific environment is there's probably a a likely chance that you have the same need in, in your organization as well. So there, it's really good to look at things that people share. And Twitter, Twitter is also a good place. Thank you. Jennifer, I guess we're ready to wrap up, please. I think so, yeah. So Olaf, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I learned a ton at least, and uh, I hope Faith as well, yes. yes. Um, that being said, um, to our viewers, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests that you want to see, please hit us up. Uh, that being said, thank you all and see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.